I do not permit women to teach nor usurp authority. That's Kira, and today she straightened her already straight hair to try to make herself prettier. Did you know when you're bored and you're just like, this, this is what I need to do? <laughs> sometimes you put on too many layers of eyeshadow. Sometimes you straighten your hair. It was one of those nights. If you blend it right, it's not too many layers of eyeshadow. Yeah, but you'd have to clean out your brush. You should do that once a week anyway. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's Alexandria, and she accidentally became a bartender again. <laughs> I'm a sucker for somebody who's like, hey, please help me. I'm like, I will help you. <laughs> Thank you for feeding into my savior complex. <laughs> I think there was another fun fact about Alexandria where she quit her job. Nope. Nope, we're back. <laughs> it took a good six months. Like it stuck. Oh, it was like five months, but it stuck for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Overreaction, where we share our knowledge and react to different topics every week. Today, we're going to talk about early childhood education. So in this week's episode, we have a pod crasher. Her name is Laura. Laura has a background in early childhood education, and she taught preschool. She has nine tattoos and three babies, two of which she's currently homeschooling and two of which go to public school from what I understand. Um, she does not keep her children's baby teeth, which is maybe the correct <laughs> the correct choice. I respect you a lot for that, yeah. Laura. That's a personal choice. We can all do what we want. I just think that teeth are a little bit weird <laughs> once they're out of your body. <laughs> you know when people find like a hair on their food and they're like, that's gross. That's how I feel about baby teeth. Or like when you clip your fingernails, Ooh. do you save those? I don't know. Some people do. Um, Laura does not teach her kids to believe in Santa Claus. And she believes she could eat 16 tacos before she threw up, which is really admirable. Okay. What kind of tacos are we talking though? I'm thinking like Mexican restaurant tacos, like like street tacos. tacos. Yeah. So corn tortilla. Yeah. What kind of meat? Probably beef. I mean, okay. You got to have like the onion and cilantro and stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was not a type of taco that I learned about until like college. Actually, same. I really think that that was a shortcoming of my Midwestern public school education. It's just not the same with like kind of dehydrated lettuce (laughs) (laughs) and some cheese from a five pound bag. Not the same thing. It's not the same. same And some like ground beef with the taco seasoning in it. That's not the same as carne asada. No, it's just not. If you aren't completely sure what kind of meat it is, it's probably not a real taco. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So 16 tacos props to you. Yeah. I'd like to schedule a date with you to see that happen. Okay, well, we have to go back to Mexico and eat real tacos, though. I'm there. Done. Pick a weekend or a week. So much PTO. Let's just go. (laughs) Okay, Laura. So we hear that you're here to teach us about early childhood education. I am. Okay, we're going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, so what is... Inquiry-based learning and why is it important? Okay, so inquiry-based learning is just the idea that children learn best through coming up with their own open-ended questions and then 
being allowed to explore those concepts with access to materials and basically all educational models agree that this is the best way for kids to learn, especially under the age of like six. Is that what they're doing in public school or is it something different? To the um, best of your knowledge. I mean, I know you aren't in most, every single public school. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, they try. It's difficult, though, because they have standards that they have to keep. So typically what they do, because you can't just give little kids standardized testing, mm-hmm. you do you use like a gold or brand. So you're asking them questions to figure out what information they already know. And you can use that to like write in your metrics. Okay. So it's a lot more work, but it encourages them to actually enjoy learning. And then it prevents like that kind of burnout from like little kids doing worksheets. Some kids like it, but in the long run. I it liked it because you could win at worksheets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's also Winning's a lot of good. like research that like reward based like consequences aren't great because we just work towards that reward for the rest of our lives. And that doesn't really work. I mean, it kind of does in our like terrible capitalist society, but for like real adult growth, it's not good. I know all this already, but it still feels like you're ripping apart my entire (laughs) life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's especially obvious as like when you're a kid and you're like, label is gifted and then you're given all of this potential and chances are you're you're gonna squander it because Mm -hmm. it's not real you're just a child it's also okay i felt this way about the word potential they're like you could do anything you have so much potential and like i could do anything and then i'm paralyzed by the number of choices Mm -hmm. similarly to when i go to the grocery store and there's 17 (laughs) kinds of chicken noodle soup when someone i know is sick and i'm like which one am i supposed to pick which one is the right one what if i pick the wrong one and then it's not good like i feel that way like blow that up to my whole life and I'm like, what is the right choice for me? What am I supposed to do? I have all this potential. Everybody's told me since I was like seven years old, I could do anything. What is the right anything? Yeah. It's like that pull between I'm going to do whatever I want, but also please tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. Oh, yeah. I need directions for yeah. sure. There was like this episode of Malcolm in the Middle where Malcolm takes a test and it's supposed to tell you like the aptitude test, what Mm -hmm. career would be best. And they're like, you would be great in any field. And he's like, no, just tell me what to do. And yeah. Hello. That's yeah. (laughs) Yikes. Okay, so give me an example of what inquiry based learning would look like for a child. Yeah. And like what down to its core are we talking about? So there's a lot of different methods that are used to sort of um, teach these like topics. So everyone has different ideas on the best way to go about this. There's people like Waldorf style, which is you don't introduce things like technology early on and you do a lot of like art and mythology and literature based stuff. That sounds excellent. So we're not giving our kids iPads. Right. Okay. Yeah, like no screens until they're like seven. 
Wow. Yeah. I don't think I know anybody who like recently has been able to do that with their kids. <laughs> there's screens some like, are everywhere. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. And then there's like Montessori models. So it's where you provide like miniature adult things to children because you allow them to explore that on their own. So you give them little tiny glass pitchers with little tiny glasses. And you're like, look, you can pour your own water and then drink it out of a glass. And so they feel like important and like they're able to have control over that they're learning. Mm -hmm. So is that what was happening when my parents would give me like a plastic play kitchen and I felt like I was cooking them food? Yes. Yeah. You're I was letting them so good at that. Congrats to your parents for the Montessori teaching. <laughs> yes. And it's like that's why it's so important to provide your kids with like like a dollhouse. So the, because kids are going to act out those emotional conversations and learn how to interact with other people by using props. So like using their dolls to talk to each other, that's how they're learning and growing. So what does it mean if my brother used to break all my dolls? <laughs> Probably he's a psychopath. <laughs> It actually might be true. Mm. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. He sends me the best TikToks about capitalism and how bad it is. Okay. So we've got Waldorf and Montessori. Are there other types? There's a lot. So okay. uh, the classical model is pretty popular. It's tied into a lot of like religious like study and stuff as well. Um, but that one uses like the trivium. So there's like the three stages of learning where it's early learning where they can't really understand logic yet. And then there's the logic stage and then it continues on. So um, all of those are going to go um, right around like the age of like six to eight, which is kind of like an accepted time where kids start learning to read and understanding that these symbols make words and that has meaning, mm -hmm. but that's also like a highly controversial topic. Okay. So you said six to eight. I know nothing about at what age children start doing things. Like I've had, I have nieces and nephews, a niece and nephews, and it'll be like two weeks in and I'm like, okay. When do they start to read? <laughs> Can we go hiking together yet? <laughs> this three-month-old, when will it speak to me in full sentences? <laughs> so is there some sort of, like, I don't know when kids are supposed to read. Like, what are the goals of early childhood education? Um, mostly it's kindergarten preparedness. Okay. So, yes, you want them to understand that you know, letters make sounds and that forms words and that's how we communicate. But also it's just like having that social and emotional maturity so they can interact with peers in a healthy, like safe way mm -hmm. and just understand like those interpersonal relationships and also just have the attention span to be able to sit and listen to a story and, you know, like interact in a classroom setting. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's more important to have those basis because the actual academics can come later. Okay. And that's something that's sort of being more accepted as time goes on. Um, in the eighties, the Moors were really popular with like the better late than early model. And so it was like 
don't teach them early. Just wait and let them explore on their own. And then when they're ready, they'll learn how to read. Mm -hmm. And so there's just you got to kind of find a balance of introducing them to literature and like beginning math concepts, but also providing those other opportunities for them to learn about the world. So it sounds like, in your opinion, like the goals of early childhood education are teaching children how to be humans and yeah. compassionate. Yes. <laughs> like interact with others rather than being like, by this age, you need to know what rhymes with that. <laughs> yes. And that's after kids reach like age eight, that's kind of when like those other standards come into play. So things mm-hmm. like Common Core um, are going to be like more set standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that leaves some open for where, you know, kids are going to learn at a different pace than each other. Can you kind of explain what Common Core is? Sure. I have a whole TED talk on this. <laughs> We'd love so, to hear it so much. So I don't know if you'll remember really, but there was like no child left behind and it was very controversial. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, wait, we're going to get some experts and we're going to come up with better ideas. And so they came up with Common Core. So it's like people actually in education coming up with these ideas. And they're like, we love that. Yes. And it does not require like a specific methodology or anything like that. It's just like, hey, you have to like introduce multiplication in third grade or whatever. I remember that. And a little rocket. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a color and a piece of the rocket every time I learned my times tables. (laughs) Yeah. And what happened, though, is that because those new standards came out, there was all of the curriculum companies rushing to be the first ones to release a compliant um, curriculum. And they were poorly written. They didn't take time to edit them. And so all of these teachers and parents were getting this curriculum and they're like, this is crap. What is this? This is terrible. And people were really starting to actually look at the curriculum and it sort of got mixed in with um, the new standard math, which was introduced before common core actually before no child left behind. Um, And that's a different way of teaching math. And that's what people commonly mix up with common core. Cause they're like, Hey, there's this new math. And it wasn't that it was that the math curriculum that already was up to common core standards taught math in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one that was mostly used or school chose the first curriculum that was released and it was poorly written. And so, yeah, it doesn't make sense because it's just not correctly edited there's lots of typos and lots of wrong answers or things aren't explained well but that's just because they didn't take time to do it so okay, so i'm going to interject real quick mm-hmm. this is why capitalism is bad yes because it incentivizes the first thing yep we race towards a profit instead of racing towards who can actually make the best curriculum <laughs> For the kids to learn. Absolutely. To build a society of adequately educated adults. Yes. But like, it's cool. Y'all made a bunch of money with your typos and shit. Congrats. So so I played hooky a lot in elementary school. I know that my mom. Because of the lactose intolerance. Listen, I. (laughs) (laughs) My mom listens to this. I'm sure that she's connected the dots. I just. She knows. I was too smart for school. I didn't want to go and we had a new Wii and I don't know. 
My stomach also did hurt. I did kind of know that it was the chocolate milk. <laughs> Anyways, the point of the story is I don't necessarily know if I missed the lessons after this, but um, when I learned math, it was doing like the lattice form where it was like if you're multiplying 100 times 35, you'd have like three boxes and then two boxes down and then you make it into sort of like a grid and diagonal cross those lines so that it was like one times three zero times three zero times three and you just kind of connect the boxes yeah i don't know how any better to explain this via audio i never learned how to do it more quickly my act that i took senior year covered in lattice boxes if you ask me to do long multiplication now covered in lattice boxes so I, I never knew that about you. I do not know how to do long multiplication. <laughs> yeah. So that's new standard math. So Stupid new standard math. It, it actually, actually is better. It. Yeah. So I like, know how to do it. Just not quickly. <laughs> yeah. Got to draw the box. So that's actually the reason that you're drawing the box is because it's teaching you why you're multiplying different numbers by each other. Mm-hmm. So in like more beginning math... I've learned that the easiest way to describe it is people are like, why are there so many extra steps? And I'm like, okay, it's like when you make change, mm-hmm. if something costs $5 and or if something costs like $3.45 and they pay with $5 bill, I'm not going to sit there and like write out $5 minus Mm-hmm. I'm going to add up in my head and I'm going to add up in pieces and then I'm going to add those together. So I'm going to do 345 plus a nickel is 350 and then mm-hmm. 50 cents gets me to $4 and then another dollar gets me to five. And so I can add those up and I know that the change is a dollar 55 and those seem like a lot of extra steps, but that's because that's how we actually work the problem out in our brain. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually able to see that visual representation of math and it helps it helps the people who math comes more naturally to them and so you're like hey this is what i do in my head anyway but it's on paper because one of the most like the biggest problem i had growing up with math is they're like show your work and it's like what am i supposed to show you i did it in my head i don't know what happened but this is the answer uh-huh. and so it's like hey now i can show you that this is what was happening or kids who like aren't understanding what is happening and so it's like we can see all of the different steps and where it went wrong and build on that foundation that makes sense i wish i had had that Because I had the same struggle. I think it took until I got to like honors geometry my freshman year of high school. And they were like, here's the proofs. And you're going to show us step by step how you know this is true. And I was like, this is what you meant all these years by show your work. Yes. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah. Because until then, they were like, make sure you show your work. And I was like, there was no work. I just (laughs) know. Yes. I feel it in my bones. I mean, that's how multiplication tables are. Like they taught us in third grade. Yeah. Like you said, where it was like three times three is nine. Or if you're multiplying by the nines, you can use your fingers and you just, you know, put one down like. Yeah. The magic nines. Yeah. I forget exactly how to do it because I know my nine multiplication tables by now. What? Oh, I always use it. Kind of not the same way, but I know that like nine times six, it's going to start with a five 
And then the second number to adds nine. to nine. So yeah. it's 54. Yeah. Those are the things. Yeah, no, that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it can sometimes be very difficult to show your work because I'm like, I don't know. I just know. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my head somewhere in my brain. Yeah. And this is like, hey, look, this makes sense. We're teaching you why it is this way and not just like, because it is the end. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Knowing why is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And so like now the kids that are doing public school, they're using what's called ST math as like an extra little thing that they have to do for math. And that uses those methods. So it doesn't give you any directions. It just gives you like this problem a visual problem and you have to like move stuff around and figure out what you're supposed to do and then figure out the answer and that works because it'll give you like here's a bar that has 10 things and there's 10 of them so how many are there they're like okay well i know i can you know count by tens to get there and they're like you just did multiplication Mm -hmm. and now they know how to do multiplication Mm -hmm. This sounds like it's much healthier for children's brains. And then we can jump from that and be like, this is why you do, if it's 10 by 10, when you want to find the area, it's, you know, a hundred square feet because there's a hundred squares in this square that we counted. Now we know the area. Ooh. Wow. (laughs) So I guess for you, what would be like, the ideal method of educating children what's the ideal like goal do you identify any like problems right now i know that's a super compound question (laughs) so early tracking helps where it's just figuring out at an early age you know by the time kids are two or three we can kind of see what they need help with and are struggling with and what they're excelling at oh yeah oh geez (laughs) and so we can just provide them with those opportunities because if we had the funding we could actually do that and have Mm -hmm. when we have those small class sizes we can do the intervention that needs to be done and we can have that personal relationship with each kid yeah and understand because kids are complex they're human beings and they're gonna have bad days and we can understand that and know them and know that you know, we are just going to work with them. And I don't think that there's one method for all kids, but I think that that's the point that Mm -hmm. we just need to be able to provide those opportunities no matter what. Mm -hmm. And we could easily do that. We have ways of doing that. There are countries that do have that. They just fund education. Do you have examples? Um, So a lot of like, like, Finland and Norway and those kinds of places. Oh, they kill it with education. (laughs) They do. And it's like they test better, but it's because they're provided that support early on. Mm -hmm. And so it's like pay teachers a living salary, have more teachers. Yeah. Higher than that. Teachers (laughs) deserve to be paid. Do you want to live? (laughs) If a teacher has to have a second job to survive, not enough. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. And it's like these are literally the humans who will be in charge of the world we live in when we're older. So maybe we should really, really 
educate them. Well, apparently you can still be in Congress in your 80s. So I don't know that (laughs) younger children are ever going to be in charge. I'm a little bit curious about what your guys's elementary education looked like. Like, how did they, I mean, to be honest, (laughs) I think each of us were labeled gifted and talented. (laughs) Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. How else do you earn a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I'm a little bit curious about like what that looked like, what your education looked like, what your class sizes look like. So I recognize a significant privilege because I went to a very small secular private school and secular private school. Yes. And so there were like 10 kids in each grade level and that's so small. Yeah. It's tiny. Yeah. And the teachers, I don't win. (laughs) (laughs) I always win the small school podcast. Yeah. I take back my question. (laughs) Did you mean small school contest? Yes, I did. Thank you so much. This is a podcast. It is. (laughs) And these were like, all of the teachers had at least their master's degree and they wanted to be there. They wanted to teach. We had a headmaster. He had like, was extremely involved. Like he would just come and grab some kids out of the classroom and be like, hey, why don't you come help me in my office doing stuff? And also because it was a private school, the people could afford to pay the tuition for the most part. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot of opportunities that I would not have otherwise had. There were quite a few people who had parents who were doctors. And so they would either bring it like I remember as a kid going into this brain surgeon's office for a field trip and he's like this is a cottering pen here's an orange go for it oh my goodness (laughs) that's incredible yeah and I'm mortified (laughs) why not into like insides that's a personal thing Oh, yeah. They brought in like preserved organs and they're like, you want to know what a human heart looks like? Here's one. (laughs) Yeah. And so we had look how you wanted it to look. No, because it was like brown and gross. Yeah. It was not like a freshie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This was like a teaching model. But yeah. And we went so many different places you know, a lot of businesses and that helped, I think later on too, with like networking and things like that. Like Mm -hmm. those are those little privileges that you don't recognize until later on. Mm -hmm. But I struggled a lot with when I switched to public school because we moved in sixth grade. And that was because I thought for a really long time that maybe I was smart. And then I was like, maybe I just went to a really good school actually. And also the teachers respected us as humans. So they would write tests. And if there was a typo, we would get an award, like some type of reward for finding the first typo. Like the first person to find a typo on this test is going to get a treat Ooh. because it's like they want you to find those mistakes. They And my first year in sixth grade, I pointed out a typo on a math problem to my teacher. This and, is in public school? Yes. Okay. And she was like, no, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. No. And that was kind of it for me. I'm like, well, there goes that. You shut down. Yeah. And it's like respecting these kids as human beings is 
like a huge step in the right direction, but like we can go farther than that. And like, I never asked to go to the bathroom when I was little, like I would just go when we had to go to the bathroom, we would go like, I don't want to have to ask permission to have like a normal bodily function. That's weird. And yeah. carry a pass with you yeah. through the hallway. No. <laughs> yeah. If there was a kid sitting in the hallway and a teacher saw them like in elementary school, they'd be like, oh, hey, did you need help or anything? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. On your way. Wow. That's amazing. What great facilitation of independence. Yeah. Okay, so my elementary school, I went to the smallest one in my district. It was very much like neighborhood based. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say there were like 50 people per grade, which was really small for the district I went to. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of what I learned, but I remember knowing I was a lot smarter than a lot of the people in my class by like second grade because I was bored a lot. Um, and I would kind of just like read books when I wasn't supposed to be reading books. <laughs> I think my brother did this too. We'd like be caught reading and oh, then yeah. still be able to answer the question that the teacher asked about something totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think in third or fourth grade, I got moved into like the more gifted program, which is when I actually got pushed into an algebra class without ever learning pre-algebra. So I knew relatable. Yeah. Nothing. I, that was the first time I ever failed a test. And I came home crying and my mom was like, well, this weekend we learn algebra. And she watched a whole bunch of YouTube videos <laughs> and taught me algebra, I think a weekend. So shout out to you, mom. Um, Cause my mom also listens to this podcast and I think probably that story is incorrect. <laughs> and she's going to tell me Most after this airs. stories are <laughs> taken with a grain of salt. This is how I remember it. I failed <laughs> my first day in honors math. I took a test. I failed it. And my mom was like, I will teach you algebra. And she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's mostly what I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny that you school. say that because it was like, it was sixth grade when I moved to public school and they're like, we don't really have a tag, a talented and gifted program. We just let you like go ahead a little bit in grades. Mm-hmm. And so you can oh, be an no. algebra, but that means I had to learn pre-algebra. So they just gave me a textbook and they're like, learn this. See you after the summer. You'll be in algebra. (laughs) Yeah. So I got really lucky because I grew up in a really like wealthy area. Um, I mean, my family wasn't, but like, because the average income was so high in the city I grew up in, the public schools were excellent, like really well-paid teachers, teachers who wanted to be there. And so we had like tiers of classes. There was like the honors class and then like the average level class and then the like remedial level classes. So you kind of got put where you fit. And for the most part, there was, especially in elementary school, a lot of one-on-one attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess for my school, like I went to a very, very small public school, like we rural do, Illinois. Rural. I I can't say rural. <laughs> the rural juror. <laughs> yes, what you said. Yeah. That part of Illinois. And 
I mean, I graduated from high school with a class of 27. And I know that that kind of like dwindled as the years went on from like dropout rates from people moving. So I think we started with a little more, but it was still like very, very small class. And so we also didn't have anything official as like a talented and gifted track necessarily. But um, I think when I was in first grade, they moved me to the second grade math and English courses. And we also had like a gifted program is what they called it. And they just like pulled us out of math class every week for like 45 minutes. And then we did special projects. And I guess I remember that we always had to do like these projects that wound up being like a little tiny bound book of like 20 pages with the little plastic things where they just like whole bunch of bunch of things down the side and then like make it into a book of our different experiments like we had one on I think the Amazon rainforest and one on like the presidents or something but I remember one project this is very random it's just the one thing that sticks to me from that program was that we're like figure out how clay dries so we had to like time how much a ball of clay would dry and just like the general air (laughs) until it was hard and then like put it in the oven at this temperature and then microwave it i just remember like the smoke (laughs) going off because you can't microwave clay clay. (laughs) but it was part of my class assignment wait so i learned literally yesterday two days ago i don't remember what yesterday (laughs) that when a frozen breadstick (laughs) says to put it in the oven Uh they really mean it Uh i tried to microwave it because i didn't want to turn my oven on (laughs) you can't microwave that either (laughs) it was like a rock sometimes with instructions they mean it but i I thought i was smarter than the bag i don't know (laughs) i learned that you cannot microwave oven clay (laughs) i mean actually it says it in the name it was very hard. Like it accomplished the purpose of like mm-hmm. solidifying the clay. Just all the smoke alarms went off and we had to have like the front door open for a few hours. So that's what I remember from the talented and gifted program, except for like the booster seat story, which we've all heard. Cause I was for a field trip for that, but like there weren't programs to necessarily accelerate kids unless they bumped up a grade, which sometimes meant missing pre-algebra. Like I had a very similar experience with that. And I think that there were three of us who did that, maybe two of us for English and then three of us for math. But it was just like, there was no plan for it. There was no plan for preparation. Mm-hmm. There was no plan for like social immersion. They were just like, you're in this class now. <laughs> well, and there's no like, for me, at least there's, there was no transition. Mm -hmm. So for English, I got moved into the gifted program in fourth grade, I think third or fourth grade. And there were enough of us in the small elementary school I went to that we had like our own class and Mm -hmm. the teacher would come to that school and we like did projects and whatever. It was fine. But for math, there weren't enough of us. So we had to be bused to a different elementary school 
And because I missed pre-algebra and then failed my first test, it was all these people who'd already been in honors math and then me who knew nothing about what was going on. I just knew I was always bored in math. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, this has to be better, right? For two weeks, it was not better. (laughs) Cried. I mean, I I think you're right. Like when you're talking about, they just need to fund schools better and things like that. Like so much of the issue was like, I think that generally my elementary school did a pretty good job of keeping me challenged. Like by moving me up, they had the resources available. I wasn't Mm -hmm. missing things like pre-algebra because we weren't too algebra yet. It was just, I was reading books with more words mm-hmm. <laughs> and learning my multiplication tables a little bit earlier. But when it comes to things like high school, like the skipping isn't the same as learning. No, no, that was my social studies. My freshman year, they're like, Hey, we're going to bump you up because you have to take two classes that you're ahead in because of scheduling stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have an August birthday. I had just turned 14 in a classroom with like 15 and 16 year olds, which makes a really big difference. Like for my social emotional development. Yeah. Yeah. And that factored into how well I did in the class, even though academically I could do fine. And so it's like, Hey, maybe Property value is not a great thing to go off of when we're funding schools. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just give people money so they can actually teach these children across the board and have those same opportunities. I want to say again, for anyone who didn't hear it the first time, property value, not a great way to decide how to fund schools. Yeah. I remember from my, like, high school graduation requirements you had to have four years of english same i normal. think i had five years of english normal in high school, expectations though, yeah they were and easy classes so i took extra exactly ones. so like that was the point but by the time that i got into high school i'd already finished the high school or some of the high school english requirements mm-hmm. so i'd ran out of classes to take by the time that my junior year finished Oh, girl. So I had a conversation with my guidance counselor as my senior year started. And she was like, so you can't graduate. And I was like, um, (laughs) so here's the thing. I have to. I don't know if you noticed, but I got a real good GPA. (laughs) And I'm really looking to go to college. And she's like, you got no classes left. And I was like, this seems to be a problem that we should have caught. Like, a long time Second ago. Second grade when I started doing this. Like we figured that this out and I had to do like late admission to college and just like cry to all of the appropriate people and be like, I have to graduate high school. I just trying to go to college. <laughs> like all of those things. But like when it comes to funding, like kids can slip through the cracks and you don't have resources and you don't have challenges and you don't have like couldn't you have just graduated early? I didn't have the credits. How? Yeah, this happened you in my school no, too. You had no classes left to take, but I not didn't, enough cred- I didn't credits have four, to graduate? I didn't have four English credits. Yeah, They don't count high school level for high school credit if you don't take it during high school. They oh, were going to we make like, me take the 101 English again as a senior. <laughs> we had
had like elective English classes. Like I, I took like mm. British literature for a semester my senior year. Cause I was like, why not? I'll take AP lit 27 kids. No, AP and classes. British literature. Oh yeah. No, I grew up in a, I graduated with like 800 people. Yeah. I don't know. I guess just like the point is without any resources or funding, like it's just a free for all (laughs) and you're expecting like 16, 17, 18 year old kids to have it together enough to stand up for themselves and say like, this is what I need from you. Cause colleges have the expectation that you're going to be at like the same level, the same things that you're going to have met the same benchmarks. And when it's not that case, horrifying okay so we're gonna shift a little bit back Mm -hmm. to early childhood education yes and i want to talk about iqs and standardized tests oh um well basically standardized testing and iq measurements are inherently racist say more Mm -hmm. um so it's just it's the way that stuff is tested um the way questions are worded and um also just funding mm-hmm. is not it's all geared towards like a middle class to upper class white child so does that have anything to do with like test preparation courses or something more um mostly it has to do with the people writing the tests. So Mm -hmm. the people writing the tests are white people and they're writing for white people, you know, their (laughs) children. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like the, the sensors that don't recognize darker skin, Mm -hmm. like motion sensors. It's the people working on this. Don't even think about people of color when writing the tests. And so it's, we need to include people of color in these test writings so we can get fair assessments on all children. Okay. So how do we fix that? Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot. Fix the whole Um, standardized test. We just hire highly educated people of color to actually write standardized testing and include people who actually know what they're talking about um, in education in all of these standards instead of it being a political issue where it's people who have no background in education writing these laws and standards. Throwing Betsy DeVos under the bus. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else you want to add that you feel like is really important to, I know we like went super off topic and talked about education through basically all the ages. I feel like the foundation you set though in early childhood kind of like sets you up for what you're going to. It's incredibly important because for early on, we do tracking. Yeah, we do tracking early on. So if you were not getting the support you need early on, you're not going to have the ability to succeed to your full potential Mm -hmm. later on unless you know there are people who overcome all of those barriers but it's not fair to expect them to we also could be doing more to break down the barriers or have them not exist absolutely that's what it sounds like (laughs) yeah we should not have to have things like diversity plans in public schools we should just fund them and 
be done. That's mm-hmm. it. Fund education. Alexandria 2040. Fund education. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to us chat about early childhood education and also education for all ages. Thank you so much for to Laura for being a guest. As always, let us know if you have any topic suggestions we can research and get opinionated on. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Overreaction Podcast. That's O-V-A-R-Y Action Podcast. You can comment or DM us there for topic suggestions. You can like our Facebook also at Overreaction Podcast. And if you like what you heard, subscribe to us wherever you are listening to podcasts right now to get notified whenever we post. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends so we can empower more women to be opinionated on these topics. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Feel okay about it? Yeah, that's gonna have a lot of it. Oh. I feel like that one's super. Well-